This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Let's get to Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Uh, We say good evening to you, Mr. Goodwin. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for joining Cats at Night. Mr. Katsimatidis is on the uh, line with us. And Governor Patterson's in studio with me, Judge Richard Weinberg, on the telephone. Obviously, Michael, uh, you very much so have the pulse of the city and and the country. And what I want to do is talk to you about the state of the uh, union, but 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 I'm curious as to your perspective because your columns are must read if you're interested in New York. Have our politics gone too far to the left? Well, I think there's no question about it, Dominic, and and I agree with what uh, John was just saying about we're going to be running out of people to tax. Uh I th- the mystery to me is why the legislature in particular and Governor Hoko has gone along. But don't forget this, this bail laws that everyone talks about. Andrew Cuomo signed it. Uh, that's when it was passed, I think, in 19, 2019. But at any rate, it, it is a mystery to me because the, the Post had a story the other day that uh, uh, Carl Heastie's district in the Bronx is considered one of the most six most dangerous uh, in the city in terms of gunfire, crime, etc. Why is Carl Heasty, you know, insisting on coddling the criminals who presumably are the ones, some of them anyway, who are harming his people in his district? I mean, it, it defies description as to don't these politicians see the self-interest? Let's not make it a moral case, just a self-interest case. Don't they want to keep their own people safe, if only for their own political good? Uh, but what's amazing, on the other hand, is despite their positions, it doesn't seem to hurt them politically. So uh, where's the incentive uh, for the for the voters who look at, say, Heastie's district, see it's one of the most dangerous, and yet he gets overwhelmingly reelected, and he supports these criminal coddling laws. I mean, there's something here that doesn't add up. I mean, there was a book years ago. What's what's the matter with Kansas? About why did why was Kansas always voting Republican when you know the author believed it should be voting Democratic based on various measurements? Well, I think we can ask the same question. What's the matter with the Bronx? What's the matter with the voters in Carl Heastie's district? And what's the matter with Carl Heastie that he doesn't align himself with the problems plaguing the people in his district? You know, Michael, I, I could slam my head on this desk right now. Michael Goodwin of the New York Post on Cats at Night. Thank you, Governor, because I agree with you a thousand percent with what you just said. Why leadership does not really represent the interest of the community. We only have a few minutes with you, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, major player in this town. We are, are on one line. We have John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. On the other line, we have Judge Richard Weinberg with me in studio, Governor David Patterson. State of the Union. It's only been about 48 hours after the fact now, but Biden's been on the road selling it. Uh, what did you make of it, uh, Michael Goodwin? Well, look, I think it was uh, a pretty well-written speech, and Biden surprised me. He delivered it reasonably well. 
but the content, I thought, was just dreadful in the sense that most of it wasn't true. And for him to talk about the economy and all of that without mention, you know, inflation, I mean, these are things that he caused uh, or his policies did. And so I, I just thought the tone was not right given the polling. The polling says somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of the public thinks it's worse off now than it was two years ago. I don't feel that he addressed that. He acted as though this was a great comeback moment, that that things were going gangbusters and they would only get better. But if you're one of those people who feels you're worse off because of Biden's presidency, that wasn't the message they wanted to hear. And I think that a lot of people have tuned him out. You know, the the audience was the slow was the lowest in many, many decades. And so I I wonder if he's really able to reach people uh, with with this new message, which clearly, as he says, he wants to finish the job. I wrote that, you know, that reminded me of a beam in 1977, saying he wanted to finish the job. But well, he was running for a second term. And Ed Koch did a devastating takedown looking into a camera and saying, finish the job. Hasn't he done enough already? (laughs) Uh, And I think we could say that about Biden now. Hasn't he done enough damage already? And Mr. Katsimatidis, uh, listening to what Michael Goodwin of the New York Post is uh, stating, I happened to turn on the Fox Business Channel the other day, and there you were appearing on the program. They had you on as an expert talking about the economy. And in terms of uh, Mr. Biden uh, bragged, if you will, about jobs, uh, bringing back jobs, and, uh, and, and you kind of nicely, politely corrected the record. Uh, what is the, the accurate record here? Well, we must have lost uh, almost 20 million jobs or people stayed home uh, during COVID. And we gained back 12. It doesn't mean it's a gain of 12. So, you know, I respect the president of the United States, but I feel he was deceiving the people the way he said that. And, and, and you know, you know what we stand for? And, and I, I think uh, Mike Goodwin agrees with uh, that we stand for truth, justice, and the American way, that we want the truth. And and we certainly do. Hey, Michael, we're going to wrap this up, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask your opinion on this. Uh, another example of me slamming my head on this desk here. Explain this to me as we wrap this up. New York City's entitled, entitled migrants demanding luxury hotel rooms at no charge. What is going on here, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post? Well, look, I think that it really uh, reveals, Dominic, uh, that the impetus for a lot of this open border uh, is this group of advocates and, and activists on the far left. They're the ones who are pushing for open borders. They're the ones with some of the lawyers go into Mexico, teach these people how to apply for asylum. They arrange a lot of the transportation. And here they are advocating that they not be sent to Brooklyn, but that they stay in the hotels. And if you're if you're an immigrant and they say, uh, you know, look, do you want to give up this cushy midtown middle class or upper class hotel for a, a cruise ship terminal with a cot and a pillow? I'm going to say no, too, if I can get away with it. The thing is that the city, I think, made a fundamental error in throwing open the doors too soon without getting federal help, without any plan. And look, the city's already got 
what, 55,000 homeless in shelters. Uh, there's a huge push for uh, affordable housing. Are the migrants going to jump the line? I mean, it, it's, it's way out of kilter with anything the city could possibly handle, and it goes back to the open border. Michael, Michael, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have to say this and get it off my chest. And I've, I've discussed it with so many people. For whom do the bells toll? The migrants that are, uh, are swimming over the Rio Grande River uh, or the poor American, the American poor, who should we take care of first, the migrants from South America or the American poor? Well, look, it, it's, it's a very good question, John, and I think it's, the answer is obvious. We should take care of Americans first, and it's very similar to the question that I raised before about the crime. Why are we taking better care of the, of the criminals than we are of the victims? Why do we care more about the criminals than we care about the victims? Uh, that's what I don't understand, and it's, it's almost like this left-wing thing of virtue signaling is about let's find the most outrageous thing we can say and do and then glom onto it and call everybody a racist or a xenophobe if they don't agree. Uh, that's where the left is, and unfortunately, too many members of the Democratic Party are following them over the cliff. I thought Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her rebuttal, the Republican answer to President Biden, when she said basically the battle is not between Democrats and Republicans, it's between sane and crazy. And I think there's something to be said for that, that the left has gone nuts and too many Democrats have followed them. And, you know, whether it's the migrants, whether it's crime, whether it's this, you know, transgender issues where, you know, women's sports have now been taken over by, men, by people who were men until yesterday. I mean, it's, it, there's so many travesties going on in the culture that you have to wonder why? why. Why are they going to such extremes on issue after issue after issue? Michael, Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, you just hit it on the head um, as far as the sports and everything else. And Mr. Katz and Michael, we want to thank you for uh, for joining us, joining us here on Cats at Night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We want to bring in Melissa DeRosa, former top aide. Thank you, Michael Goodwin. We really appreciate the time. Former top aide to uh, Governor Cuomo. And uh, Melissa, how are you tonight? Doing great. Thank you. How are you guys doing? We are doing we're, wonderful. We're, and uh, Mr. Katsimatidis uh, is on the line and he is uh, in, in this conversation as well as Judge uh, Weinberg. A big day news wise here in New York State. I want you to set it up and explain it for us. Sure. So and this is something I had sort of heard rumblings about in the last couple of days. And so I wasn't surprised to see it pop today. But the ranking member of the Republicans um, on the Judiciary Committee brought a formal lawsuit today against Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who is the Senate Democratic Majority Leader, and all of the Democrats who serve on the Senate Judiciary Committee, essentially saying that what they did was in breach of their constitutional duty to give advice and consent to the governor on her Court of Appeals pick Justice LaSalle when they, you know, turned him away after just going through the committee process and not sending it to the floor. And so, you know, what I find amazing about this, but also sort of perfect, given how this whole thing has been going, is that the Senate Republicans are stepping up and defending 
essentially what is the executive's authority in the Constitution on contemplation of a court of appeals judge. And Kathy Hochul had threatened to do this, you know, way back at the end of December, early January, and has just been dithering. And weeks and weeks have gone on, and she hasn't sort of tipped her hand at what she was going to do. Frankly, I think she had no idea what she was going to do. And then in the meantime, the Senate Republicans step into the void. And so now you are going to see this case brought to through the court system, I imagine it'll go all the way up to the Court of Appeals, which is sort of interesting, the Court of Appeals having to decide this because it impacts them directly. And it will be because the Senate Republicans brought it to bear and not the governor. So, you know, once again, from my perspective, real weakness, real lack of leadership from her part. But we are now going to see this play out. Before we go back to Mr. Katsimatidis uh, for him to chat with you. So, Melissa, you're an expert at this. Uh, This lawsuit, Does it give Governor Hochul some political cover? I mean, no. Here's the thing. I think that LaSalle goes down on the floor no matter what. I've been saying it on this show for a month. I think that the Senate Senate Democrats have sort of coalesced around their leadership. This has now become an institutional fight over the Senate Democrats and who runs their house. I think, if anything, this just calcifies their support behind Andre Stewart-Cousins, who's the leader in Mike Gianaris. So I think that no matter what, the, the LaSalle goes down if he gets to the floor, if the court sides with the Senate Republicans and this goes to a floor vote. I think that while it's the right thing, I believe, from a procedural perspective, because it reserves and preserves the right of the executive in, in the Constitution, I think that by her not doing this, she just she has shown that she has given up to the legislature. Ultimately, power is zero sum. If one person has it, someone else doesn't. And she don't it's not even that she doesn't have it. She has ceded it. And then she rather than stepping up and saying, regardless, in the end, of who wins or loses on the floor, this is about a bigger matter. And I have to, as the governor of the state of New York, for all future governors that come after me, preserve this authority and I am going to take them to court. She's been in the corner saying, you know, dithering away. And now you have the Senate Republicans sort of stepping up and doing it. So I don't think it provides her cover because I think it just reinforces her weakness. And now what has become sort of an albatross around her neck politically will continue to be front and center in the press while this plays out. It continues to sort of reinforce this notion that LaSalle was a conservative because why are the Republicans fighting for this vote? So it continues to sort of drive the Democrats away from her and be able to say, see, the Republicans want this so badly, they're going to do your bidding for you. And so it like further puts the Democrats together against her while they have a supermajority. And while she really needs to be out there making the case on her budget priorities, which in no way, shape or form are a slam dunk. I believe she's put up a couple of really big ticket items that she's got no strategy or ability to get done. The only way she can possibly do it is if she has a a smart press and political strategy. And now she's going to be distracted by this LaSalle vote. Let me me get my two cents in. Uh, Governor, we got two minutes left. Governor Patterson, you got one minute. I'll take a minute. Go ahead. So, Melissa, I think the whole thing started when the legislature wrote this letter and listed the names of the people they would reject. At that point, they were attempting to disrupt the constitutional process. And that was the point that I would have told the legislature, I'm not appointing anyone until you all learn what your role is here and take that letter back. 
I don't disagree with you at all, Governor. I think that, you know, all along the way, sort of they have dictated the rules of engagement and any strong executive should have bucked it well before we reached this point in the process. John? But I think that that sort of underscores how we got here. Yeah. And and I, I won't support Governor Hochul if she puts her foot down because uh, Judge uh, uh, LaSalle deserves to be in Albany, deserves to be on that. You know, he's a, he's a Hispanic. We don't have that many Hispanics up in, in Albany. He deserves that shot. He's a common sense guy. And I am mad as heck that uh, the state Senate is trying to steamroll him. Well, and to your point, though, John, she's not putting her foot down. You know, they're not commenting today. She's not the one bringing the lawsuit. So, you know, again, I think we all have to reorient ourselves to a world in which the legislature is in charge, which is sort of scary, given how far to the left they are. Well, Melissa, we're glad you're putting your foot down. (laughs) As always, happy to, guys. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Right now, we want to introduce into the program our health expert, Dr. Peter Mikulos. Doctor, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, guys. It's great to be with the Cats at Night team. And uh, today, I'm going to share some exciting news with our audience about longevity. So let's get to it, Doctor. Mr. Katsimatidis is listening to you right now. Let's get to it. Well, researchers at the prestigious Columbia University right here in New York just published a um, paper, and they show that an inflammatory drug called Kineret, which is commonly uh, used in certain cases of arthritis, they found that it can rejuvenate the system, which makes our blood, possibly adding years to our life. And basically, it was published in Nature Cell Biology, which is a very prestigious journal. And Dr. Emanuel Pasag from the Columbia University Stem Cell Initiative said that a younger blood system may add health span and lifespan. And basically, all disease will eventually be traced back to the molecular level. And this drug basically that's used in arthritis was found to make our bloodstream younger. And we found they found that inflammation damages our stem cells. And when you can block the inflammation, you have healthier stem cells and you produce healthier blood. The bottom line is inflammation damages these stem cells. So the, uh, the drug then basically blocks something called interleukin-1, which is an inflammatory pathway. And they're going to start human clinical trials soon, and it may be another thing in our uh, armamentarium to help us have more health span, not just lifespan. We want to be as healthy as long as possible. Of course, other things that contribute to inflammation, we know are sugar, elevated insulin, infections, and uh, not eating uh, healthy types of food and having an unhealthy gut microbiome. So now we're going to be hearing more about this drug in the next few years and how it's going to add to longevity because in the end all this stuff is important but health is the most important thing the rest will figure out so keep listening to wabc for more health tips and more exciting news that's coming in the world of anti-aging and longevity 
Dr. Mikolos, just looking at Dominic, he's so moved, he looks younger already just hearing about the medication. <laughs> well, we, we got to keep hope alive. That's why we're looking for some good news. And Mr. Katsimatidis, uh, so what do you think there, an anti-aging uh, drug, according to uh, Dr. Mikolos? Uh we we all want to live longer. I mean, uh, that's the that's the story of our lives. Too many people have been dying of heart attacks. Too many people have been dying of diabetes. I want to live longer, and I am willing to adjust my diet and adjust my lifestyle to be able to live longer. And that's what it comes down to. So people have to make a decision. And uh, I believe the doctor. We we have dinner often together, and if you eat the right foods and uh, take the right vitamins and do that uh, uh what do you call that diet doctor the intermittent fasting intermittent fasting where go ahead doctor it's not it's the cycle of when you eat it's not just what you eat so it's good quality food and consuming it in a shorter period they did a mouse study and they found that when they fed them 2000 calories in a 3 hour windows and the other mice ate the same 2000 calories over a 24 hour period the mice that ate it in the three-hour window live 30% longer. So to translate into humans, when we eat during a fixed period and allow our gut to rest for 16 hours, it begins a lot of healing processes. It goes after cancer cells, and that's why many of the world religions that have fasting, it's like a reset button. It's like hitting restart on your computer and gives you a second chance and gives your body a chance instead of constantly focus on on digestion all day and eating snacks it focuses on healing and inflammation that's why during sleep a lot of that healing happens because we're not sitting there eating constantly well dr mikulos we thank you for that information on the anti-aging uh drug and mr katsimatidis has been telling me about your fasting program and how effective it's been for him so so i think i'm going to be the next one to uh to do your fasting uh, initiative thank you very much for joining us it's cats at night on the red apple podcast network This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We have uh, the man of the hour, if you will, State Senator Anthony Palumbo on the line. And he's important. He's important because he's behind the lawsuit from State Senate uh, Republicans that have sued today to make sure that the full Senate gets an up or down vote. Keyword, full Senate on Judge uh, LaSalle. Uh, Senator, State Senator, are you with us? I am, and thanks for having me. Good evening. And Mr. Katsimatidis is listening to you, and he's here with us live as well. So what is this all about? Why did you find that this lawsuit, and Governor Patterson is listening, was absolutely necessary? Sure. Well, the, the New York State Constitution is, is quite clear about this. Judicial nominations must be considered before this full state sentence, uh, Senate. So... The Judiciary Committee, which provides what's called advice and consent, um, no matter of its size, discharges or or rules on a judicial nominee, they must within 30 days, and under our state constitution, they must then allow the Senate, um, the full Senate, to vote, all 63 members. Um, Curiously, the Democratic majority, and I actually debated the rule change on our first day when we're doing housekeeping. Um, they changed the rules to really nothing significant. All 
um, somewhat clerical changes, but they, one substantive one was the body of the Judiciary Committee. They added four members, three Democrats and one Republican. Um, uh, the, the committee assignments are supposed to be proportionate to the full Senate, two to one. It's 42 Democrats, 21 Republicans. So I questioned, said, how, why do we have three to one instead of two to one? That's quite interesting. Um, got pretty much a non-answer from the, um, the floor leader, Mike Giannaris from Queens. Um, and, it, of course, it went through and was voted in. All three of those members that took – yes, go ahead. It's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Welcome back to Cats at Night. I want to tell you what I find absolutely outrageous is not only the fact that they made it three to one, but they put people on the committee to stack the committee who had already said that they were going against Judge LaSalle. There was never an opportunity to give him a full and fair hearing on the merits to hear what his views were, to talk about what his record was. What they did is they made sure that the outcome was fixed. So what they did is they packed the committee and now try to stop the Senate from exercising its prerogatives, just the whole Senate, not just the Democrats, and also denying the, the governor of the state of New York her prerogatives. You ought to be commended for doing this lawsuit because the governor has just backed off on her commitment to file a lawsuit. You are vindicating the rights not only of the, the, the entire state Senate, but the governorship as well. What say you? Well, thank you, Judge. And you know what? And, and I appreciate that. And that's really the point. It's not even so much the partisan aspect of it that the Constitution prescribes a full vote. He's entitled to an up or down vote by the full Senate. Um, and you equate this to the United States Constitution with Robert Bork. He was, went through the Judiciary Committee with more negative votes than positive votes. He still went to the floor and they didn't confirm him. So it's not even so much my personal feelings regarding um, the nominee or um, really political aspects of it. The bottom line is um, it should go to the full Senate uh, because the Constitution requires it, period. And that's really the point of this. It's a, it's a declaratory judgment action, which is just going to ultimately ask the court um, what say Bottom you. line. Bottom line. Bottom line, guys. The state Senate is trying to cook the books because the Constitution says the Senate. It doesn't say the judicial part of the Senate. Full stop. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Mr. Palumbo, for coming on, and I hope uh, uh, justice prevails. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. With us today is former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, one smart guy, one good friend, one historian and a patriot of our, uh, our country. He loves our country. Uh, Speaker Gingrich, tell me, what the heck is going on in Washington? Give us an update. Well, there's been a lot of different things going on. There's been a surprising bipartisan move against China, uh, including a vote condemning the Chinese for their uh, spy balloon and its penetration of American sovereign airspace, which which passed unanimously, 419 to zero in the House, uh, which I thought was a significant sign of, you know, I mean Biden may not understand it, but the rest of the country is coming together in a serious way. I think that there is a very serious effort underway to move back towards a balanced budget, and I think you're going to see some a whole range of positive ideas coming out of the House Republicans on how to get that done. I think that's a big deal. Um, I thought in the State of the Union, I actually thought the most important thing Tuesday night wasn't Biden's speech, 
but the follow-on speech. And I'd say to all of our listeners, uh, if you have not seen um, <clears throat> Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech from Tuesday night, you know, pull it up on YouTube. Don't don't read it. You have to see how she delivers it. I thought it was the best general statement of conservative philosophy since Ronald Reagan in October of 1964 when he gave a speech called A Time for Choosing. I mean, she nailed it at every level, and she did it with personal stories and with warmth and with effectiveness. It, uh, she's 40 years old, brand-new governor, and I, I wrote a newsletter at, at uh, Gingrich 360 saying that a star is born, uh, that that's, uh, she's, she's really going to be a significant player. Uh, the other thing I was really struck with, John, is that um, Biden, is, Biden is just a totally dishonest hypocrite. Uh, his comments, first of all, his effort to attack the Republicans on Medicare and Social Security, which literally got booed down by the Republicans, and he had to back off. And if you watch that section of the tape, he backs off and changes his position and sort of bounces around in a way that is crazy. Um, and finally says, well, gosh, I guess maybe we're all in agreement that we're not going to cut it. But there's a deeper thing here. Uh, we are faced with a crisis in Medicare and Medicaid that people don't want to talk about. But but the fact is uh, that we, we are going to face um, Medicare and Medicaid running out of money. And the time to start fixing that is now. It's not, it's not when you get to the actual crisis, but it's right now. And the uh, President Biden, instead of saying in a serious way, how do we talk this through? How do we pull it ourselves together? Uh, just threw gasoline on the fire. Uh, and what that's going to do is make it impossible in the short run to do anything that really helps save Social Security and Medicare. And I think, I think that is a, that's a huge, huge out-year problem for all of us. I mean, as we live longer, as we live better, and as medicine gets better, uh, those food, food programs are dramatically more expensive than they projected 30 years ago. Uh, and we've got to really think through and come to grips with it. Uh, and recognize, you know, and you can't do it in this environment. I mean, the most we could do is create a commission that, that was genuinely bipartisan and that could report back in 2025 with sort of a menu of possible ways of fixing the problems. But you could uh, never Mr. Speaker, I think you, you're absolutely right, but it's got to be a bipartisan issue without somebody uh, getting up and yelling about it like um, President Biden did. And because uh, I'm not sure it hit your desk yet. One, uh, one of the new reasons we learned the other day why uh, uh, we didn't get a red victory in, um, in uh, November was 26 million young people filed uh, their, their, uh, for, for uh, getting back $10,000 from uh, their college fund or their, uh, right. and, and that's a lot of, 26 million people, that made the difference because the Democrats, which is nothing wrong with it, promised them, you're gonna, if you vote for us, we're going to give you 10, back $10,000. Okay, it's one thing to believe in Santa Claus when you're five. But at some point, you begin to realize, oh, somebody actually has to pay the bill. And what, what you got the other night in the State of the Union was uh, Biden promising to spend even more money to create even more inflation, to create even more debt. Uh, I mean, this is a formula for ter just ultimately uh, crippling the United States. Uh, and, and you already see it in, in a, a number. I know you as a businessman see this stuff all the time. 
part of the reason we but, have this, this, this artificially good uh, unemployment rate is only 62% of American adults are engaged in the economy. Now, France, which we used to laugh at, is at 74%. So if you're in a situation where there are more French engaged in work than Americans, you know something profound has happened. Everybody's staying home. And in states like New York and California and Illinois, they're getting paid more to stay home than they can earn if they go get a job. It's absolutely unsustainable in the long run. They promised, the Democrats promised the moon, and the young people believed them, and they vote for them. And you can't get common sense unless you are inside the White House looking out instead of on the outside looking in. Well, and of course, in this case, you've got a guy who gets up in the morning in a government building, is taken care of by a government staff, goes out and gets in a government marine helicopter, flies to the Andrews to get in the government uh, Air Force One to go to Delaware so he can so he can bicycle for the weekend. Now, he, as far as he's concerned, the economy is terrific. He isn't, you know, he isn't paying for anything, and everything's taken care of, uh, and it, it feels great. But for the average American, I mean, uh, over I mean, seventy something percent of Americans now say. They're living paycheck to paycheck. I fully agree with you. When you and Bill Clinton were a team uh, back then, you guys reduced the deficit because you guys both had common sense. Well, and we, act, we not only balanced the budget for four straight years, but when I left office, uh, Alan Greenspan, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, testified publicly he thought we might pay off all of federal debt by 2009. I mean, that, that was the momentum we built, and it was common sense get people off of welfare and back to work, create real economic growth, which generates a lot more revenue, and control spending. You do those three things, and you do them for five, six, seven years, you know, we, we can easily get back to a balanced budget uh, in the next decade if we decide that's our goal. What else would you like to talk about today? I mean, that Chinese balloon. I mean, shouldn't they have shot it down? They should have shot it down over the Pacific. I don't understand well, what, why they write it. Well, First of all, this is unbelievably dangerous because you don't know what those balloons are going to carry. Remember, these balloons are the size of a 20-story tall building. This isn't like the balloon at the Macy's Parade or the balloon that your kid has at the local county fair. These are 20-story high. They're very sophisticated. They use artificial intelligence to go to the right level, the right altitude, to pick up the right wind. So they're amazingly controllable. Uh, and... This one had a what was probably an intelligence package hanging below it, but it could have had an, electron, an electronic magnetic pulse bomb, which would have taken out all the electricity in the state. I mean, we have to have a, we have to have both a a doctrine and a technology that says we will shoot you down before you reach American airspace. Period. Uh, and the way you know for Biden the other night to come to the State of the Union and say we met the challenge and we and we solved it. It's such a total, it's either a blatant lie, or, or as Laura Ingram said last night, he lives, he lives on Fantasy Island, which I thought was, was probably as good a line as I've heard. Because does he really believe, you know, Babylon B had this thing that said, first the balloon got to complete its journey, and then I shot it down. And that's what happened. And the balloon came all the way across the U.S. from Alaska to South Carolina. And finally, after it left American space, we shot it down. Now, how, how can that possibly make any sense? And I understand, and I'm not uh, fully versed in it, that they could have brought it down 
uh, uh, slowly and gotten complete possession of everything without blowing it up completely. Uh, you know anything about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, many, many years ago, uh, we used to have, before we developed the ability to send uh, pictures from space, we used to have satellites that would take pictures and then literally send the camera down. And we had planes that were specially equipped that would catch the camera in the middle air coming down from space. And we did it routinely. Now, the idea that we could not find, figure out a way to do just enough damage to the balloon that it starts to leak. And then as it gradually starts to sink from leaking, that you couldn't have had a couple of aircraft that figured out a way to, to capture it on the way down. Uh, it's just, you know, surely the Pentagon has not grown that incompetent. I mean, I, I worry because they're now they're more into wokeness than they are into defense. And I think you're seeing the effect of uh, people who just, frankly, are not very competent. I agree. Uh, Speaker Greenridge, I want to say thank you for everything you for you did for America and continue to do for America. And uh, I'm standing there next to you, and uh, thank you so much, and we'll catch up right. again real soon. Well, it's always good talking to you, John. Thank you. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.